I think we are at the point in which we don't know what you're going to find, which is the most exciting part. I think one of the last big discoveries that were made at CERN was the Higgs a few years ago, but this was predicted already many years before that, and the community had been searching for it. Somehow we already knew what we wanted to find, but now we are really looking to find signs of physics we don't know yet. So I think this is very, very interesting. Deep learning is used for what's called anomaly detection. So to flag and find anything that really looks abnormal, not normal. You're listening to Wittishian's podcast, where we take the ultimate sci-fi themes found in books and movies and discuss them with the world's leading scientists, engineers and experts. This week's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors and preferred retailers, Wordery and The Book Depository. And the book whose theme we're reflecting on this week is Rainbow's End by Verna Vinge. It is set a few decades from now and it is an epic adventure that encapsulates in one single extended family the challenges of the technological advances of the first quarter of the 21st century. The information revolution of the past 30 years in this book blossoms into a web of conspiracies. And if anyone knows me, they know that I love a good conspiracy theory. But in this story, they absolutely destroy Western civilization. The link to Rainbow's End can be found in the show notes. My name is Amy Rose, and in this episode, I have a conversation with Dr. Sophia Velocorsa, a CERN physicist with extensive experience in software development in the high energy physics domain, in particular on quantum computing and deep learning applications within CERN OpenLab, a public private partnership between CERN and ICT companies. Let's have a listen. Sophia, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you. So, I'm going to start by asking. How did you get into, I think you're into AI and technology. How did you land into this position? I mean, did you, were you a kid and you love technology and science and physics or how did you get here? It was a long path, I would say. Well, it is true. In fact, I was always fascinated by science in general. This was this idea of understanding, you know, how the world works. I think there was a curiosity that has always been there, maybe because of my parents. You know, they had this enthusiasm, this constant enthusiasm towards science that they always tried to pass on to us. Mm. And I think it worked. <laughs> they had a very, very classic, a mixed approach. They had a very classical background. You know, they studied Latin and ancient Greek. And then at the university, they went for physics and math. So basically, my sister and I grew up in a very science-interested world, I would say. So basically, yeah, I always knew I wanted to do science. It's just that at some point I started to go towards more fundamental science, fundamental research. And I think you can get more fundamental than physics. Uh, and, you know, high energy physics, astrophysics. And so that was what I started with. That was really what brought me into science. And when you say you started with that, were you a child or were you in university? Did you think it was always going to be your path? I think already as a child, I thought this was mm. going to be my path. Through high school, it really became clear. And I decided I wanted to do something that, you know, was, again, really fundamental, understanding how the law of our universe work. 
And so physics for me was the natural choice. And that, that is what I did at the university and that is for my master and the PhD later on. And so you're a doctor, you've got a PhD in high energy physics and you're currently working at CERN Open Lab. What is it that you're working on there at the moment? Oh, okay. So maybe I should first explain to you what Open Lab yes, is. Um, <laughs> so we are a section in the IT department at CERN and through us, CERN collaborates with uh, different, you know, leading ICT companies, but also other research organizations. And the idea is that we want to act try and accelerate development of new technologies. So cutting edge ICT solutions that then can be, you know, developed for the research mm -hmm. community in physics, uh, but also, you know, broader than that. And so I think this is what's really exciting about the job I do now. In particular, I'm responsible for all development of different deep learning applications. Mm. This is, again, for physics, but also for other fields. And how are you applying deep learning to physics? Uh, well, there are so many things you can do with deep learning in physics. One of the first projects I started working on was, for example, looking into generative models in order to simulate the behavior of the particles in our detectors. I'm an experimentalist, so for me, understanding how detectors work, it's of primary importance. So simulating these detectors is key. It's actually an essential component of any, any physics analysis. And so when I got to know the existence, you know, that in fact with deep generative models, you could create synthetic reality, this looked like, you know, the perfect application. You can use deep learning methods, for example, to search for very rare phenomena in your data and do so in, in a very efficient way. So the community is very interested now in using deep learning. Oh, absolutely. Especially if you can find those little hidden gems. But Exactly. Yes. Exactly. I mean, it's everyone's dream, isn't it? I mean, if you go back 100 years, they would have just been, oh, so excited to be able to find these these things. But uh, Yes, and, you know, we are building such huge machine like the Large Hadron Collider here at CERN, and, and we're using it to, and, and we create a huge amount of data. And then, of course, the problem arises. You really want to, you know, not miss that little tiny thing mm. because you spend so many efforts and so long in building all this equipment. And so it is really, really important to be able to use those techniques because they get better the more data you have. And how do you see this data collection? Because, I mean, you are collecting a lot of data, but what do you see as the outcome to it all? I mean, what do you think you're going to find? What's really important and why do you keep going? I think we are at the point in which we don't know what you're going to find, which is the most exciting part. I think one of the last big discoveries that were made at CERN was the Higgs a few years ago, but this was predicted already many years before that, and the community had been searching for it. Somehow we already knew what we wanted to find, but now we are really looking to find signs of physics we don't know yet. So I think this is very, very interesting. And for this reason, since in particular, because we are looking for things we don't know, I think deep learning can really help. So with these, have you found anything in particular that is just incredible? About, actually, let's go back to the Higgs, did you say? 
Yes. Yeah. Can you just explain for our listeners, because some people will be from sci-fi, some people will be from science. Can you explain what Higgs is and why it was so extraordinary? Well, the Higgs boson is uh, one of the fundamental particles that was missing from, you know, our knowledge of the world, of how matter and energy interact and, you know, all the basic laws of nature work because the Higgs boson is the particle that is responsible for the existence of matter, basically, of mass. And so it was theoretically, uh, it was described and it was already many, many years ago. And the theoreticians got the Nobel Prize, in fact, for that. Mm. Uh, But it had never been observed before. It was really, really the missing piece of our understanding of what we call the standard model of particle physics, basically our understanding of how the particles interact. And what was the consequence of that discovery? What's happened since then? They've used that discovery to find other things or there's been, yeah. Well, there is a lot of research that continued in trying to understanding and understand all the properties of those particles and how it interacts with the ones we already knew. But there is also a lot that's been going on in trying to find new physics. What exists beyond this standard model? This is what we want to keep looking for with the next run in the next years. Yeah, some scientists that I've been speaking to, have they're into time travel and wormholes and things like that. And they're saying that the laws of physics are quite flawed at the moment, or some of them say that and some of them don't, but they say there's a lot missing. Is that what you're saying as well, that by doing this research that you're doing with deep learning, we're going to discover new laws of physics? I think in some sense, yes, but let me explain what I mean. For example, I don't think physics laws are flawed. I think that there's still a lot we don't know. And for those things that we don't know, we build models that we try to base on observation and that our, are, in some sense, I would say our best guess of how things work. And so more research then is needed in order to verify those guesses, those models, and improve them. So this is the kind of research that's going on right now. And this is where deep learning can help in particular because you can use, you can design deep learning tools, AI tools, to learn directly from the data. You don't need to give them that much input, that much input information to start with. And I think this is why they can help so much in this respect. So essentially, the AI is able to have a look at, a, let's just say, a printout, a massive million and millions of figures and data, and it's able to come up with a new concept, something that you didn't... An example. I can give you an example yeah. to, to explain. In some sense, you're right. Yes. What I mean is that you can use, you can design a deep learning model to look at your data, you can teach this model to recognize, let's say, particles and interactions and behaviors that you already know. Mm. And then this model will be able to analyze very fast and very efficiently a huge amount of data and then flag the one that looks different in a way that we couldn't really, you know, do manually or algorithmically. This would be awesome because one of the men, the gentleman... Seth Shostak, who I was interviewing about, he's basically on the hunt for aliens and he's they've been waiting for a signal and what happens is they don't have the computer power or the capacity to 
they record heaps of data, but they can't catch everything. And there could be a signal coming through, but they don't actually have the computing power or the resources or technology to capture maybe what could be an alien signal from space. So are you saying that perhaps in the future, I mean, you don't have to agree, but could deep learning pick up a signal that otherwise no one else could? Yeah, I think so. And this is very generic. In fact, it's at a much smaller scale and for more, I would say, close uh, to Earth <laughs> kind yeah. of applications, this already exists. Deep learning is used for what's called anomaly detection. So to flag and find anything that really looks abnormal, not normal. Mm. So with the AI though, now some people are saying that this deep learning and AI is going to get to a point where it's way too strong for us, way too smart. It's making the the decisions for us and yeah, the robots are going to take over the world basically and the AI is going to take over the world. What's your opinion of that? Well, I would say that AI is advancing very fast, but we should also, I think, be more realistic about what we mean when we talk about AI. If you're talking about general, you know, AI, so some entity that could reason in exactly the same way a human brain does and therefore even replace humans, I think we're very far and it's unlikely we something like that is going to happen. For us. I mean, this is my opinion. I think narrow AI, though, is already there. Narrow By narrow AI, I mean something that some um, uh, system that it's capable of learning and uh, improving its performances in order to perform a task at the same level a human would or better. And this already exists mm. for some specific tasks. This is a reality. I mean, if you think about speech recognition, AI systems can do that at a level that is better than uh, a human can. Or even image recognition, it's very close. It got there for some specific applications. So from that point of view, I think AI is a reality. Now, of course, this is the situation today. Research and development around AI is everywhere. The community is extremely lively and it's a very, very interesting you know, place to be right now. But so what will happen in the future, it's... It's difficult to see. My opinion is that, you know, every time you improve something, the next improvement it becomes more difficult. So oh, I see. imagining, this is general, right? It's, it's a general, uh, so imagining a system like an AI system capable of improving indefinitely, it's difficult for me. I think there are hardware, there are going to be hardware constraints and software constraints too. So I don't see this, you know, happening soon. I know there are colleagues that don't think like that, <laughs> in fact, because they claim, you know, this is a very human-centric approach to this problem and you shouldn't use that when you're talking about AI. So I think, I don't know, this, the question is still open for me. Yeah. Well, see, there's a utopian, dystopian opinion of this. And well, my opinion is, and a host really shouldn't, <laughs> um, but I'm just throwing it out there because this is my favourite topic. So in maybe perhaps not in 10 years or 20 years, but it will keep continue to develop. It will continue to get better and better and better. So at some point it will become smarter than an average human because at what's, when will it stop? Again, 
Yes and no, in the sense that for specific things, I think you're totally right. And I think it will actually happen rather soon. It's already happening. But in general, I'm really not convinced. I would love to see it, actually, because for me, this would be a a utopian future. Uh, So it would be a good future. You know, I think technology is any technology advancement or, or scientific advancement. It's good. And so usually bad comes from the way people use it. It's not related to the technology itself. So, so for me, this would be, it would be great to see that. But I tend to think that if it happens, it will be very, very, very far away. And one of the things that some people who imagine the future with robots, because I mean, AI and robots, they are different, but to have, you know, some people imagine that there's robots that have artificial intelligence and they'll be doing our jobs and things like that. And there'll be flight attendants, there'll be cooks and there'll be that sort of thing. Do you think that's in the near future? I think, yes, we could be close to uh, start thinking about replacing some, you know, jobs with robots. I think this would be, again, good in general because it would give us the possibility to actually focus on, you know, more creative kind of jobs or more, you know, interesting kind of jobs. I'm not saying that being a flight attendant is not interesting. This is not my point at all. I'm sorry. I just no, realized it could be bad like that. Oh, but what no. I mean is that we should welcome any kind of automation we could get, I, I think. But this needs to go together. It's mostly like a ethical, of ethical nature. What we really need to understand is how these systems learn, what exactly they learn and you know, why they learn certain things because we need to be able to interpret their behavior and justify it if we want to really start using them practically in our world. Because imagine that you, we start relying on AI to take decisions about medical care. There has to be accountability and there has to be the possibility to explain why a certain choice was made. So this is key and it's really beyond just the simple technical or technological uh, advancement, right? But it's very important if we want to get there. Yeah, that's another thing that I I wanted to talk to you about, the ethics of it all and how to make sure that our values are instilled in AI and, you know, the humanistic approach, how to value humans above the AI sort of thing. I don't know how to put this, but I sometimes get worried about the people who are programming the AI with their bias and their own views, because it is a human in some cases who is the programmer behind the AI and that gets rolled out to, in some cases, uh, law firm, oh, sorry, courts to make. I see what you mean. I, I think because of the way you, you develop AI, I think the problem is more like putting boundaries to the outcome. You don't really program AI, you let it learn through the data that it it looks at. And there is some kind of, you know, stochasticity inside this process. And so you need to be able to assess where it's going and control. And maybe that is the stage and the level at which you can put in some ethics in, right? But again, I think this is a very, unfortunately, it's a tricky subject. It's very, very complicated. We, I know there is a lot of work that's going on in at the level of 
trying and understanding how those systems learn exactly in order to be able to explain it and interpret the results, of course. But a real ethic does not exist yet, I, I believe. No, I don't think so either. But I'm, I've had some conversations around the speed of the technology surpassing our capacity to add ethics to the whole, even to the whole industry, you know. So let's not introduce AI that's going to swear at kids or when they, you know, like let's try and do the right thing here and as a human race around the whole thing to make sure that it remains ethical. There are some, that's some of my concerns. You know, I think it's a, it's a very good point. Fortunately, there are no solutions yet. I think mm. it's all the different development as far as technology is concerned and development as far as, you know, understanding how it works and how we should and how we can include it or integrate it in our society or have, have to go together. And, you know, there is a lot of excitement on the technology technological part every day you Basically, every day you see new, you know, new applications that come out, people that come up with some new ideas and some new example of what AI can do. And this is very exciting. But at the same time, there has to be, yes, investment in understanding how all of this can be safely integrated in our world. And do you, are you excited about anything that's, that any advancements that might be coming up with AI? I mean, I know it's probably a long way away before AI takes over the world <laughs> but what's happening soon like what can you tell us about I think what's really exciting about it is that people are starting to you know consider this like a familiar tool something that you can use you know artists create art with generative models I mean this is something that uh, was unbelievable just a few years ago I think what's really what's uh, shocking is the speed at which all of this is happening. More specifically, some breakthrough. I don't know. And I, I think forecasting. So again, there are many, many problems in our world today that we cannot solve because we don't have the computing power or to, or even that we don't know in details how to properly model certain phenomena. And so we cannot simulate them. We cannot understand them and we cannot solve problems. And for example, you know, we can talk about climate, we can talk about pollution, we can talk about many of those subjects. And I think AI can develop into something that we can use to get a better understanding of those, of those problems and therefore then maybe get a solution to it. Mm. Well, I know here in Australia, we're going through a massive drought <laughs> And it would be pretty good yeah. to understand how to solve that problem because this is a yeah or forecast, you know, pre you, preview. I mean, see when it's coming. Yeah, and just maybe have some water in your tank before it really hits. So, <laughs> absolutely. And one last question: whether it's AI or any other idea or something that you can imagine. This is the last question. And as I said, lots of people uh -huh. say AI is going to take over the world. But I'm speaking to you now. What do you think in the space of technology or even ideas or even ways of life or the, the way that we're going to do things in the future, what do you think will exist that we probably can't imagine right now? Uh, what I would like, well, 
it has been imagined by, uh, let me see, because I'm, now I'm really thinking about, like, from impractical terms, what would be really good to have, I think, for daily life, if we could have a system for, you know, teleportation, it would be great. You wouldn't have to drive your kids around all the time and be stuck in traffic. It would just instantaneously be there. Now, this has been imagined in many uh, science fiction, you know, books so far. But given how quickly quantum information technology is improving, I think, you know, this is something that maybe at some point in the future could happen. It would be great. Right now, they were able to, you know, to transfer instantaneously information you know, bits of information, we can imagine that in some years they could transport particles. And then, you know, from there, you just need to, you know, grow to more complex systems. And maybe one day there'll be no traffic anymore. Oh, you're preaching to the <laughs> that car. Would be that great. would be amazing. <laughs> well, we do, we spend half our lives in the car and it is very, very painful. <laughs> Yes, yes, it is. (laughs) Well, Sophia, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for answering all the questions that I just blurted out. I just couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. But thank you so much for answering them. Thank you. This was a very, very nice, very nice discussion. Very interesting. Oh, that's great. Okay. Thank you, Sophia. Have a lovely day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode with Dr. Sophia Velacorsa. Until next time, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you can, if you have it in you, please leave a review on iTunes. Stay safe, enjoy the company of your loved ones, and enjoy the rabbit holes. Bye.